right, all right, all right. Day 125. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So um, today we're starting the Song of Songs. So remember, uh, this year we're doing a modified chronological plan, right? Meaning um, that we are trying as best we can to take you through whole books, but we want to do it chronologically. Last year we did it canonically, right? The way they are organized in the English Bible. But this year, chronologically, as best we can, remember that it's not a strict chronological plan. So it's modified, meaning um, that we are going through whole books at a time because if we went strictly chronological, we'd be in two books at the same time. And that would have just been been too much got convoluted and complicated for people so we thought this would be the best way so today all that to say <laughs> we're in the song of songs right so the song of songs takes place in the time of solomon right and solomon uh if you remember was the son of david and um you know the psalms covered such a long period of, of redemptive history that some of the psalms right were were can arguably be taken as either for solomon or by solomon and so this book takes place uh, in, in the history uh, around the time of the Psalms. So Song of Songs is basically its title is a Hebrew idiom, right? Like it is similar to King of Kings or Holy of Holies, meaning this is uh, the way that the Hebrews use superlatives, meaning that um, this was the song of all songs, right? Just like Jesus is the king of all kings, right? He is the ultimate king. This is the ultimate song, right? Um, and so uh, here, in this song, though, you're going to see uh, a ton of imagery, a ton of poetry, and it's just this intense desire and physical attraction for uh, a king and his bride, right? Back and forth. They'll go back and forth to one another, right? And one of the things that's interesting about um, this book is that uh, the way it's been interpreted, right? So uh, it's talking about this love relationship, but Jewish tradition has, has uh, seen it as an allegory, meaning everything is symbolic for Israel, uh, God's people and God, right? And Christians, right, when, when, when they inherited the tradition as well, they saw it as um, uh, more between Christ and his church. Um, but I also, what I would say is um, that all of those things can be true at the same time, right? It is about a king and his bride, literally, right? Physical human love and human marriage and that relationship. And we can glean insights for our own relationships and own marriages. But it is about Yahweh and Israel, uh, Christ and the church as well. So we don't have to choose, right, <laughs> uh, between all of those things. Now, what's interesting is that um, you're going to see so many powerful echoes and imagery of, of gardens, right? Of the Garden of Eden, particularly, right? And you see this kind of naked and unashamed nature uh, uh, that is presented in marriage. And um, yeah, the Bible is, is technically a big marriage, right? It started with one marriage going bad and then one marriage uh, being redeemed uh, between Christ and his church. So you see all those themes kind of here in the book. All right. So out the gate, <clears throat> Song of Songs, chapter one, uh, you see the, the bride, right? The bride is talking to the king and she's not playing. Look how she says, she comes out the gate. She says, yo, Oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your caresses are more delightful than wine. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. Your name is perfume poured out. No wonder young women adore you. Take me with you. Let's hurry. Oh, that the king would bring me to his chambers. Uh, the main thing here that the text is trying to express is that there is a type of desire the young woman has for the king, right? She wants his kisses, his caresses. She loves his scent and smell. We all know how smell can right, lure us in to uh, a person, right? And you see this intense physical intimate desire for the person that um, the bride is not yet married to, um, but it is good and godly, right? I think um, sometimes as Christians, we just have all these feelings and thoughts like regular people do, but we have to remember that those things are good things. They just need to be applied in their proper context, right? And um, in verse four, 
in, in seven, you see all, all this imagery, uh, or in verse seven, excuse me, you see this shepherd imagery, right? And I think what um, is being uh, uh, juxtaposed here and brought up here is the idea that the king and the shepherd, right? So you think about the Old Testament, kings were usually thought of as shepherds because they cared for the sheep, they cared for God's people, hence why Jesus is the great king and the great shepherd of the sheep. And one of the things that um, the, the bride is going to bring up in verse four, she's like, yo, let's hurry. Oh, that the king will bring me to his chambers. Which, what she's bringing up is this, there's this distance between them. And she's saying this shepherd job that you have, this job actually makes it harder for us to be together, right? She recognizes this. And we know that um, in these intimate relationships we have here on earth, right? Uh, presence, sometimes a person's presence is a present, right? And she's bringing that up, right? She's basically like, yo, don't be too long, right? Send me your location. I want to be with you, right? And verse eight through 11 though, it shows that this is not just some one-way relationship, right? That would be terrible, right? There is mutual delight. And you see the king now affirming her beauty and who she is, right? He basically uh, invites her to follow the tracks of his flocks, right? And he calls her a mare, right? Among Pharaoh's chariots. And what he is basically saying is, you know, you stand out, right? You stand out among all others in the ancient Near East. You know, mares were these female horses and they were... Uh, you know, in a class all by themselves, top notch, top of the line. And everybody knew that. Right. And what he's saying is like, yo, you're like a mayor. Right. You stand out. Everybody knows this isn't merely subjective, something I'm just portraying or projecting. But it is actually true of you. Verse 12. Well, the king is on his couch. My perfume releases its fragrance. The one I love is a sachet of myrrh to me. Spending the night between my breasts, the one I love uh, is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyards of En Gedi. Uh, the fragrance of nard, right, is going to bridge this gap, the distance of them. And this was an expensive oil. Now, most of us would say um, that they are betrothed at this point. They are engaged, preparing to be married, analogous to what we would call engagement in today's uh, language. They are not yet married. So when she comes through talking about myrrh and wanting him to spend the night, um, this is talking about a longing for something that is to come physical closeness spending the night as well as everything that goes with that song of songs chapter two upon loving hear this upon loving one another deeply with words they continue this in chapter two right where she calls herself a lily which was a life-giving flower in the ancient world right and um there's this play on words where she's going to call uh, herself a lily and um she, uh, he, she was compared to a mare earlier right the similar uh soundings in hebrew and in other words she is not just one who receives attention from everyone else like the mares did but she was also this one who set out but what she gave right the remember the life-giving flower of the lily she gave off something that was helpful and beneficial to other people and so um she talks about this uh, all throughout the chapter and she also says that you know this fruit this fruit sweet or, or this sweet fruit <laughs> uh and some would say this refers to the mutual fellowship all this kinds of stuff but um many think it's actually compared to the words as we know the words are compared with fruit uh in scripture and um you know verse seven is a refrain that comes and it's going to be repeated all throughout the book and it's very important it says young women of jerusalem i charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field do not stir up or awaken love until the pro appropriate time this verse is the woman who is speaking in the poem with the male giving a charge to the other young woman that they are to make an oath to not awaken love until its proper time right and um it means and what this uh verse means is that we aren't here this to rush or hurry to love Right. And I think this is a word for so many uh, younger folks, especially 
because there are many who are just in a rush to try and awaken love sexually, but also to get married and what have you, right? And just like anything else, hear this, just like anything else, you tend to overlook things you should have probably paid attention to when you rush, right? So my mom always says, uh, you know, when I'm driving or I tell her I'm going somewhere, she's like, hey, Keith, don't speed, right? Don't rush. And um, it actually finally dawned on me after years of driving uh, that that was actually good advice, right? Because when I rush, the thing is, I tend to overlook things I should have paid attention to. And if you look at my background of traffic tickets, <laughs> you'll see that me rushing actually led to tickets, right? Me overlooking the police who was sitting on the side of the road that I should have paid attention to. And I think that's, there's something um, analogous uh, going on here to what was going on with me in uh, my traffic tickets is that uh, when we rush, man, we, we can tend to overlook things in our potential spouses, potential mates uh, that we should have paid attention to on the front end. But because we were going so fast, moving so fast, we couldn't see them. And, you know, I love now that the beautiful thing is love is to be awakened at the proper time. Right. I, and I think um, this is all encompassing. This is talking about sex and all that kind of stuff as well. And um, because of how beautiful, you know, especially intimacy in marriage is and how potent intimacy and binding it is, it should be in a safe and secure place right, of a marital union. Right. It is like fire. Right. Fire properly used, warms the cold, cooks the food and fosters comfort and safety. But fire outside of its proper context burns, destroys and can leave permanent wounds. Verse 15, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards for our vineyards are in bloom. Basically here, foxes ruin vineyards in this time. And what uh, the vineyard represents, the love between the two people in this story. And she is saying we ought to catch anything now that could possibly ruin our vineyard down the line. And he is uh, the, the text is giving us so much uh, free game right here. Um, these foxes or hindrances can and should be caught early. Right. So that they don't cause a ton of damage later conflict family, finances, faith, whatever it is, they need to be caught. We need to catch the foxes in our relationship early. So again, so so just to step back for a second, we see how much is being told about the actual human marriage relationship. And more and more, we'll get into things about um, how it relates to God and Israel and Christ in the church. Now, the first part of three, chapter three, is very confusing and is giving interpreters much smarter than me the works, right? So some say it's literal, some say it's a dream or just totally symbolic. Nonetheless, it again, show, it is again showing um, um, the bride's deep love for the king. And she literally says her soul loves him in verse one. She loves this man with her whole being, right? Succeeding, succeeding that is another tough section to interpret, but most will see this as the wedding in consummation of the couples, right? As we gravitate toward the middle section of the book. And I actually see it uh, as that as well. Now, remember, now going back to the Yahweh, uh, Israel, Christ church relationship, uh, although this is not a perfect analogy and it doesn't map onto every single verse in this text, it is a legitimate one, right? So look at verse six of chapter three. Who is this coming up from the wilderness? Like columns of smoke, scanted with myrrh and frankincense uh, from every fragrant powder of the merchant. Now, um, what's going on in the rest of this chapter will describe the wedding procession. What I see is the wedding procession between uh, some say Solomon or king and his bride. However, the analogy of Israel is bursting through the seams here. The fact that Israel, hear this, after being saved by Yahweh in the Exodus, comes to the wilderness, out of the wilderness, to start their new life in the promised land of Canaan. The same is happening here in this text as the bride is coming out of the wilderness to meet the king in marriage and thus begin their new life, right? And this fancy ceremony uh, and reception 
He's where my man, the king, has 60 portable men carrying him, denoting royalty and wealth. And something similar happens to us in the gospel, right? When Christ comes and brings us out of the darkness into the light, into the new life he's called us into, we get everything he has. The royalty, the wealth, the inheritance, the kingdom that Christ has, we receive it as well as his bride. Chapter 4. Um, chapter four comes and we are finally to the wedding night. Notice how um, in the first seven verses of the chapter, we have the man complimenting and praising her. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn sheep coming up from washing each one bearing twins and none has lost its younger your lips like a scarlet cord and your mouth is lovely. And he goes on and on and on your neck, all this kind of stuff. And notice how um, he goes in descending order from her head uh, down to her feet, showing that he appreciates every single part of her and how she has been created by God. And if you notice, uh, remember uh, Song of Songs, I don't know if I said this is part is a poet is poetry, obviously, but it's also a, a part of uh, a, a, a smaller category called the wisdom literature. Right. And um, if you know anything about the wisdom literature, it is often grounded and rooted in creation. Right. So you think about Proverbs, how um, how much he talks about uh, um, uh, the world around him and the the wisdom and insights he can glean from the created order as it is. And um this is why the metaphors used here talking about the bride and how um, the, the physical nature of the bride is being used because this is wisdom literature and this is how they write. Right. Um, and so w w what these writings are meant to do, wisdom literature, uh, they are meant to teach us how to live in covenant with God. Right. Although the world is broken, but we're supposed to live in this world. Right. In covenant with the Lord. And so throughout the rest of the chapter, the marriage is consummated and we come to. Uh, the end of our time today. But I just want to say that, um, again, Song of Solomon is a poetic book that is showing us what the marriage relationship can look like when it is uh, the earthly marriage relationship between a man and a woman uh, can look like when it is uh, focused on the person and work of Christ and what he's done. And it is uh, brought together by him. But it also points us further to what uh, Christ has done for us in the gospel and making us his bride. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your grace. We, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many insights that can be gleaned from your word from a variety of angles. We pray, Lord, that today we would awaken love until this proper time. Father, we would um, uh, remember the dignity of the marriage relationship as you designed it, God. And if we're not married, God, we pray that we would be able to support and love our married brothers and sisters uh, in a way that you've called us to. God, I pray that we um, would love your word uh, and we would ultimately love you because of this, because of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.